Thanks for joining us for another message from Southland Church. If you'd like any information about our church, check out our website at mysouthland.com. I admitted last week, prayer can be difficult. And to be honest, when I first began praying as a Christian, my prayers lasted about five minutes. And I would say for my first five years as a Christian, it was maybe I'd get up to 15 minutes. And I was frustrated, and like you probably, I would read about prayer, I'd hear testimonies about prayer, I'd meet people of prayer, and I couldn't seem to get any further with it. And so finally one day, I prayed a simple prayer, and I don't know why I waited so long, but I said, Jesus, can you teach me how to pray more? And, and that's an important prayer because we are told to pray a lot. So here's the question I want to wrestle with, and we're going to go through two questions this morning. The question I want us to wrestle with here is, how do we pray longer and more often? And, and that's a vital question because there is this call to pray a lot in the Bible. First Thessalonians 5.17, uh, such a simple verse. Again, what a great verse to memorize. If you want to add to your uh, verses that, to memorize, this one's a great one. Pray continually. You know, when I first heard that uh, shared in a church, I remember, again, I did not grow up in the church, so... I remember uh, a pastor, I was going to church in Niverville. I remember a pastor saying that. And, and I didn't know a lot of the rules of going to church. I, I, I wasn't sure, you know, you're always trying to f figure out what do people do. If you grew up in church, you take that, maybe take for granted. But I didn't know. So there's times where I felt like shouting out something in the service. In some churches, that would be okay. But I kind of figured out early on that you don't do that in this service. But when he said we're to pray continually, I remember my response inside as a raw new believer. You've got to be kidding me. That was my thought. Like, forget it. Pray continually? I mean, I began to list off in my head all the other things that I would prefer doing. And yet, the call's there. And I began to understand over time that's a lifestyle prayer. It's a being available to God. It's thanking him throughout the day. I'm not going to describe what that all means. My point is there is this high call to pray a lot. We're told about Jesus. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. Like often withdrew. For long prayer times, we see hints of that in the Gospels. Then the early church prayed a lot. I, I, this verse won't come up on the screen. I, I know that frustrates people sometimes when a verse doesn't come up on their, you know, maybe on the computer or whatever. I, I often just ask God to give me scriptures sometimes as I'm preaching, so I apologize. Acts 2.42 talks about them devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching and at the end to prayer. The early church devoted themselves to prayer. I've read many biographies, Christian biographies, and you see that where there's genu genuine fruit, there has been much prayer. Luke 18.1. Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Always pray. I, again, I could give you many, many verses. I just, I just wanted to show us here again that there is this call to continuing prayer. So, so my question is, how do we do that, actually? And, and I, I'm just going to share some, you know, my own personal walk here a little bit. It, not as a boastful thing, but I think it's good to understand this. Remember I said I used to kind of max out maybe 10, 15 minutes of prayer. I find now I can pray for an hour at a time 
with ease. I find that I pray many hours during the day. What, what happened? What was the transition point? First of all, I'm going to give glory to Jesus because he answered that prayer. Teach me how to pray, Jesus. But I'm going to give you some practical tips today. And I want to encourage you uh, to take out your phone at wherever you are and schedule in somewhere this week a pra- prayer practice time to, to, actually, to, to actually practice what I'm sharing here. And I'm going to do that too because I can always continue to grow in prayer. But I'm going to share with you four things that will help us pray longer and more often as disciples. And, and just to repeat something Pastor Ray said a couple weeks ago, you know, people often, you know, they hear these kinds of things, pray more. Oh, we don't want to be legalistic. He talked about the difference between legalism and discipline. You know, it, in the word discipline, there's the root of the word disciple. A disciple will be disciplined. So to practice, that only makes sense. So what can we practice? I think the most important thing if we want to pray more and pray longer is to weigh what the Word says. To weigh what the Word says. That's our starting point. The Word ignites prayer. You know, often we're, we're, just, we're not sure where to go with prayer. The Word can be a base. When I was learning how to pray more, there was a woman my wife and I met, and I'm going to use her name here, and she is going to be so embarrassed that I'm using her name because she's so humble, but I'm just going to use her name because it, I just felt like I just didn't want to come up with a vague name or anything. Her name is Carla Reimer. Okay, so anyways, we met her years ago in Winnipeg, my wife and I, at an EMC church there we were attending. And I noticed Carla could pray. We would actually invite her over sometimes to, to pray at our house. And I was like, wow, can she pray? So I began to observe, and I think if you want to learn how to be a better disciple, you often observe those who maybe have strength in an area. You might not match them, but they have a strength. And all of a sudden I noticed that Carla often was referring to certain verses. Like she'd often have Bible verses embedded in her prayer. And then I began to pick up on this, I thought, I think that's how she can pray so much because she's reading her Bible a lot, not just reading it, but meditating on it, like memorizing it. And, and so that's why, again, it's not about whether verses come out in our prayers, but the point is, actually, when we're, we're meditating on the Word, it can help us move into prayer. It ignites prayer. It also, the Word puts boundaries on our prayers. You know, communication is hard sometimes. I mean, um, growing up, I, I didn't actually talk to people very much, so I didn't have to learn how to do communication. But then, then I got married, and I realized, wow, you really have to think about what you say. I mean, some of you are like, that's kind of obvious. I didn't know that going into marriage. And you really have to try to listen. Uh, we haven't even, you know, I'm glad our, our marriage will be many, many, many years, whatever God grants us on this earth, because... We're still practicing the art of communication. Well, praying is communication, and, and when we're in the Word, it, it actually helps us know what to say at times. It helps us, you know, discern what we're, we're hearing back from God. In Psalm 119, verse 105, a, a well-known passage, and, and, and I just, I, I, it, it means so much to me. Your word is a lamp to my feet and a light for my path. And, and I want to say in response to that, 
in so many ways is the word a lamp to my feet. It helps us pray. It helps us pray. As, as it says there um, on the PowerPoint, weigh the word through the day and you'll pray through the day. That's what I've discovered. The more I'm in the word. So I'm going to give you just an example here uh, from my own life. I, I thought, you know, I'm going to actually demonstrate how this might look for me. So I, I just wrote down in my notes here. Actually, I don't even have a verse in there, but I'm just going to pick one. And I'm going to tell you how that would lead me to pray. And, and again, it's, you know, we all pray with our own words and that. But in Philippians 4.13, there's a well-known verse, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. So I've memorized that verse. Well, that can lead us to prayer. Often I don't go into prayer blind. I, I might think about a verse like that, and how I might pray is I might say, wow, Lord, I can do everything that you call me to. That's what it says. Then it might lead me to confession. I might say, Lord, I confess that sometimes I evaluate the things you call me to based on what I perceive my adequacy to be. I'm sorry, Lord. I'm sorry, Lord, because it says there, I can do everything through him who gives me strength. There, I, then, then I might pray and I say, wow, Lord, everything. Can you show me what the everything is for me? Lord, can you help me discern that? And then your strength, Lord. And then I might go, look back to the week and I might say, oh, Lord, I remember where you gave me strength. Oh, I remember where you gave me strength. I remember on Thursdays, I'm mentoring all day on Thursdays. Lord, you know I love those days, spending time with groups of pastors. But oh, Lord, staring at a screen for five hours, listening intently, that's tiring. Oh, Lord, but you gave me strength again. You gave me strength again. Lord, thank you, that's right. A pastor asked a very difficult question this week. Thank you for showing up, Lord. Thank you, Lord, that that pastor who was in great need this week, thank you, Lord, that that group he's in rallied around him and loved him. That's all one verse just can lead me to pray that way. So don't be shy about opening your Bibles when you're trying to pray more. I'm, I, I don't hesitate now to do that. So weigh what the Word says. Another thing that will help us pray is to worship. To worship. Psalm 100, verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. You know, when we go to prayer, it is natural to, to recite our problems. You know, well, Lord, there's this going on, and I can see, and we even are good at reciting the potential problems, are we not? Well, Lord, what about this? This could happen. This could, you know, um, you know next week's going to be tough, and I got that difficult meeting, or, and we begin to pile it up. And, and I want to encourage you, actually, if we're going to pray more, what we need to do is we need to bring our problems to God, but then give them to God, and then focus on praise and worship. You see, when we focus on our problems, it's like slamming the brakes on. I imagine passing somebody on the highway, going to pass them, and then all of a sudden just slamming the brakes on. I mean, if you had a passenger in the car, they would look at you and they'd say, what are you doing? You're crazy. What are you, why, why are you slamming the brakes on? We're trying to pass somebody. Maybe there's, you know, traffic coming up. You know, that's kind of what, like, focusing on our problems is in our prayer lives. It just kills prayer. In fact, there are people who end up in despair after prayer times because they just 
dwell on the problems. That's not going to result in much prayer. I have found that praise and worship are like an accelerator in my prayer life. You know, see, David understood this, okay? You may not have ever noticed this if you read through the Old Testament, but it, when, when they're setting up the temple and all the guidelines and all that, David does something really key. And this is what it says. David told the leaders of the Levites to appoint their brothers as singers to sing joyful songs accompanied by musical instruments. David knew that if that was going to be a house of prayer, there needed to be worship. And I, I had never noticed this before, but when I was meditating on this verse this week, it really struck me that it wasn't just singing, it was joyful songs. Because actually, you know, there's a place for songs where you, you just, you mourn in. I, I really do believe, that's why I love different types of music. You know, certain music leads you to mourning and you just cry out. But if we're going to actually sustain long periods of prayer, we need worship and joyful songs. And I, uh, we've never lived in a time where we have more access to good worship. I mean, simple things like Spotify. In our budget, we have Spotify under discipleship. In our budget, we have a discipleship category. The reason is, to us, that's a small investment to make where we can turn on worship at any point because that always spurs us on to pray. A common question I've got over the years from young pastors or even experienced pastors, this is a question I've got many, many times, is how does Pastor Ray pray so long? People, it's, all, it's like they come under the cover of darkness like Nicodemus. Um, they don't want to say it out loud because it feels, you know, you feel like you should know. But I wondered that. When I began working here years ago, I come in, I'm an early riser, so I come in early in the morning. The pastor would already be praying and and then I'd, you know, I'd have my own devotional time, prayer time, and he'd still be praying. And I wondered that too. So he doesn't know this, but now he's going to know this. I would sometimes kind of hang out outside his door and listen. <laughs> you know, what was he praying or what was going on in there? And I've, no, I've, I've observed this same in others. I think of busy moms and dads. You know, how would they ever pray more? And actually often the answer to that is, again, worship. I'd often hear coming out of pastor's office, worship. And I know many busy moms and dads find that's the best way they can be led to prayer. You know, even in the midst of all the demands of the home is just turn worship music on. You might say, oh, but it's not as concentrated as just sitting there and reading the Bible. No, it's not. We need that too. But if it leads us to prayer, turn the worship music on. Turn it on. So worship helps us pray more. Another thing that helps us here, and I'm not going to spend very much time on this, but I, 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 I was going to delete it, but it actually is so important at times, is to write out our prayers. Write out your prayers. For me, it focuses me at times. So for example, in the mornings, I write out my prayer. Why? I'm a task-oriented person, so I wake up in the morning, I have my schedule in front of me. I usually have a number of emails that have come in overnight that are staring at me in my inbox. My involvement in church, you know, there's people in different time zones, there's international, so I'm getting emails all the time. And so I'm like, there's a potential for great distraction, and, and the way my personality works is I'm like, I want to get to those. Like, it's like, 
Let's take these tasks on. Well, I know my weakness there. So what I have to do in the mornings is I have to write my prayers out. It keeps me focused. Okay, you might not be like me in that, but, but Wednesday night when we had the prayer summit, I was tired. I'm not normally tired in the evenings, at least not 7 o'clock, but I was tired. So what did I do this time? I actually had my laptop in front of me, and I, because I knew I would have to write down some of my prayers just to keep me focused. You know, some people hesitate to do those things. They say, well, if I was stronger spiritually, I would need those helps. Don't feel bad about needing those helps. Why would we feel bad about that? And God made us certain ways. Whatever it takes to get us praying more. Some people have to walk to pray more. Then walk. I've been walking more this winter. I thought, you know what? I'm 45. I live in Manitoba. It's time to, to walk more in the winter. It helps me pray. I thought, just dress up more. <laughs> and I've had such rich prayer times this winter as I've gone out and walked. And uh, it's, so, it's so good. So, but you'll have to write out your prayers at times, and, and that'll help. What I love about that, too, is I often go back to the things that I've written out, which is very rich. So we weigh what the Word says that helps us pray. We worship, and then we write out prayers. And finally, we can wait on the Spirit. We can wait on the Spirit. You know what? We can feel parched in our prayer lives, where we got no words. We're just dry. Can we be encouraged? We all hit that. I have never met anyone, even the prayer warriors, who, who, who don't get parched at times. They, they just have nothing left to pray. So do we give up then? I mean, it's tempting just to say, well, I guess I'll go on to something else. Well, we don't have to give up. We have a helper. Romans 8.26. I mean, this verse, I just, I mean, sometimes when verses become familiar, they lose their power and they shouldn't. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is just a little side note. Stop beating yourself up over being weak. That was a huge breakthrough for both of our kids when they were in middle school. We said, you know what? You're going to feel weak at points for the rest of your lives. <laughs> Why would we feel bad about something that the Holy, or the Holy Spirit through Scripture acknowledges that we're going to feel weak? It's what we do in our weakness. The Spirit can help us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. I'm often in awe of how I'll not know what to pray, and I'll say, Holy Spirit, can you help me pray? And it can move from nothing to all of a sudden there's this flow of words that come, and and. And I'll know how to pray, and often then I'll write it down. I'll be like, okay, that's how I can pray for that. The other day I was praying for North Korea. I thought, that is a dark place. I thought, how do you pray? It's been dark for a long time. So I just said, Holy Spirit, can you help me pray? And he helped me pray. Jesus said, the Spirit is like a spring of water welling up in us. That's what we'll experience when we invite the Holy Spirit to help us pray. Don't, don't hesitate to pray that simple prayer. Holy Spirit, help me pray. Now, I just want to take a moment here to, to do a little aside because when we talk about the ministry of the Holy Spirit, sometimes, you know, we get a little bit worried. And, and I've heard this objection before, and I just want to address it for a moment 
because I think it's important to talk about here. Some might object and say this idea of helping the Holy Spirit or asking the Holy Spirit help us pray, it's too mystical. I've heard that objection or, or, it's, or, or they're afraid of mysticism. So I, I just want to take a moment here to define that briefly and address that because we need the Holy Spirit to help us pray. But some are afraid it seems a little, you know, like a foreign thing to them. So let me just define mysticism. And you can have different definitions, but here's my definition of mysticism. Spiritual practices such as prayer that are not rooted in Christ, the Word, and their truth. Okay? Spiritual practices such as prayer that are not rooted in Christ, the Word, and their truth. We know that many religions, they pray, they fast, you know, they have their own scriptures. So we recognize that there's a potential danger zone. Years ago, someone asked me to read a book on Zen Buddhism. And, and there's, you know, there were entire concepts in there that sounded very familiar to some of the language that I would even read in the Bible. So we, we do need to discern there is the possibility of deception. So I would agree when we're praying, we have to guard against just mere mysticism. In fact, this week I was thinking about this. Again, I, I have a little hobby of coming up with phrases. And again, I often test them with my family. And I don't know if that's a good thing. Often I just get, you know, eye roll. And I just think they're tired of listening to me. So maybe it's not a good test. But I enjoy them. So whatever. So one of the phrases I thought this week when I was meditating on this was, is that we shouldn't be spiritual gluttons where it's just a free-for-all. That's what people are often worried about when they say, oh, you have to be careful. You don't want to get mystical. And I would agree, prayer isn't just a free-for-all where we're just like blindly praying and we have to be careful about the flesh. Our desires can get mixed in there. We have to be aware that there is a devil who even masquerades as an angel of light, we're told in Scripture. So let us be careful. But on the other hand, neither should we deny or ignore the testimony of God's Word on the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And I want to caution us in another way. We need to be careful about mysticism, but we also need to be careful not to call the legitimate work of the Holy Spirit mysticism. We have to be careful about that. The Bible says this about the Holy Spirit. He gives us gifts. They include hospitality, administration, leadership, evangelism, tongues, you know, prophecy. There's a long list of gifts, and I don't think the, the gifts listed in there are, are, you know, a complete list. We're told that the Spirit will guide us into all truth. We're told that the Spirit will empower us. The Spirit will help us discern. In fact, in 1 John, it says one of the ways we'll be able to identify what the works of the Antichrist are is through the anointing of the Holy Spirit. If you're wondering how to avoid deception in the end times, the answer of 1 John is to, to make sure you're connecting with the Holy Spirit. So my encouragement here is let's be cautious, but let's not deny the legitimate work of the Holy Spirit. Imagine going through a fast food um, restaurant drive-through. Okay, maybe you've done that before. I'm sure we all have. And you order a combo, and you decide, you know what? I'm going to be a little bit healthier now. 
I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get the burger and the fries, but I'm going to say I don't want the soda. I mean, what a great choice, hey? Now we're eating healthy, right? <laughs> like, you know, so now if you did that, that's fine. Like, what, it doesn't matter. Like, what does it matter if you have the soda or not? I mean, it just, you know, nobody would care about that. I'm afraid sometimes that when we look at God in his triune nature, we say, I like the Father, I want the Son. But Holy Spirit, well, there's some stuff in there I don't know about. How would the Holy Spirit feel about that? We have to be careful about that. 2 Corinthians 13, 14 says, May the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ and the love of God and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit be with you all. We need to fellowship with the Holy Spirit. That's how we can pray more. Galatians 5.16 says, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. One of the ways that we guard against the desires of the flesh in prayer is to invite the Holy Spirit to lead us. You can pray, Holy Spirit, take me by the hand. Shape my heart. I understand that sometime, you know, maybe in spring, there might be a series here on the ministry of the Holy Spirit, which I hope there is. I, I really would look forward to that. But maybe in preparation, if you're wondering about the proper place of the ministry of the Holy Spirit, I want to encourage you. Why not do a word study on the Holy Spirit? Go to BibleGateway.com, type in Spirit, and look up all the references. Some won't refer to the Holy Spirit. You'll be able to discern that. Why not study that? You might say, oh, we got so much to do in the evenings in our home. Why not read those verses out together as a family? Because it will help us pray. The Holy Spirit will come alongside of us. And as we pray, one of the things we'll begin to pray is that we'll pray that God's will is going to be done. And actually, it's interesting. The word fellowship actually means to partner with or to participate in. That's literally what the Greek word behind fellowship means. So that as we pray more and pray longer, one of the things we're praying is, is what is your will, Lord? And we need to come alongside of that. But here's the question, the second question I want to talk about this morning. Can we actually know God's will? When I was younger, my friend and I, we used to uh, play darts. Now, how did we ever start playing darts? That wasn't like a popular game. My dad bought a dart board. He thought it would be good for me to occupy my time. So we put it downstairs, and I invited this friend over. And I had three darts, and he had three darts. And we started out playing. I would throw three, count up my points. He would throw three, count up his points. We didn't even know the actual rules of darts, but it's not hard to figure out, at least play some kind of game with it. Well, typical guys, that became boring very quickly. So we came up with an idea to play a different kind of game. Now we would throw, both throw our darts at the same time. And then we would run as fast as we can to pull them out of the board. You'd only get a point if you got a bullseye. And we, of course, we would throw at different paces and take them out at different paces and run at different paces. It, we would throw them even when the other person was still running back and forth. So we had to make another rule. If you hit the other person, you'd lose a point. So it was only... Miraculously, only three or four times that's, that skin was ever penetrated. So, now, I know my mom's listening this morning. Just, I want you to know, Mom, it was my friend's idea. Just so you know, 
Um, I, know, I know I don't get in trouble for my mom now, but, but she probably would know I'd never do anything that dumb. But anyways, it was complete chaos. That's how many people feel about their prayer lives. I'm going to throw out a prayer. Hopefully it hits. You know, ducking all that. That's why many give up in prayer. Say, I can't really know God's will. I've been there. And I'm probably going to end up there at times as well. But this is the question, again, I want to address. Can we actually know God's will? Should it be chaotic? And the biblical answer is... It shouldn't be chaotic. According to the New Testament, Old Testament as well, but I'm focusing on the New Testament. According to the New Testament, we can know God's will. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault. Gives generously. That's what it says, and it will be given to us the wisdom we need. Now, again, we're talking about the wisdom we need we can't just always ask and he's going to tell us everything about everyone's lives and all his plans. That's not what I'm talking about. But if we need to know his will to accomplish his purposes, we are told in the New Testament that there's a certainty we can, we can hold on to. That's going to come. Romans 12, 2. Then you'll be able to test and approve what God's will is. His good pleasing and perfect will. It says we are going to be able to discover that. Now, here's an encouragement. It does use the word tested there. So there is a process. So when I say there can be a certainty in knowing God's will, it doesn't mean immediately always. I said last week that I like, after reading a verse or, or listening to a sermon or reading a book, I like to ask, so what? What's the takeaway? So here's a takeaway. Let's be humble and ask and keep asking. Based on these promises, we can move to a place of greater certainty. It'd be prideful to say, well, prayer for me has been like, you know, just randomly throwing darts, so I'm going to give up on it. That'd be prideful because the Bible teaches something different. Our experience shouldn't determine what's possible. God's word says we can know his will and be humble about our imperfections in discerning. Again, it says test. We're not going to know perfectly. Here, here's how I like to think of it. God is perfect in revealing his will. We are imperfect in discerning at times. Both types of humility can coexist and should coexist. But the good news is we can increase our knowing. And I'm, I'm just going to give a couple of, you know, suggestions on how to increase our knowing. They're not even just suggestions. God actually gives us a prescription for how to know as well. And I don't use the word prescription lightly. I don't like words like prescription and formula very often. But he actually gives us a prescription for how to know as well. So we're going to go back to Romans 12 for a second here. And, and he just lays it out. 12.1, therefore I urge you, brothers, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as living sacrifices, holy and pleasing to God. This is your spiritual act of worship. The starting point is not to ask for his will, but is to offer. 
Not ask, offer. Oh, God, my life will be a living sacrifice. We don't make that commitment once. I mean, we make recommitments. We're not getting saved over and over again, but we're saying like the burnt offering of the Old Testament was a daily offering. It was a reminder of commitment where each day we're saying, we're, 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 we're not just going to God and saying, God, tell me your will. Tell me your will. Tell me your will. We go first with a posture of offering. Why do we need to do that? It's because we can get selfish. <laughs> I can get selfish. We're in a culture that tells us it's about us. I love what Zach said before leading into one of the songs of worship. He likes to focus on songs that just exalt God. We have enough in our culture that tells us it's about me, it's about me. Now we're special, but we're not so special that everything reveals around us. Did you notice that the world keeps going on <laughs> if you're sick or something? So we can embrace that we're fearfully and wonderfully made. But we have to recognize that when we enter prayer and we begin to ask his will, that it's not all going to be about our desires. Here's a guaranteed way to have confusion in prayer, is to demand your own will. That's a guaranteed way. It, you know what, a lot of spiritual confusion, a lot of anxiety in our culture is born out of this demand to get our own way, where we begin to say, Lord, bless me, I need to know your will over here, but Lord, here's options one and two, I don't want option three, four, and five. And can you talk about this area, but please do not talk about that area. A guaranteed way to have confusion in prayer. I like the words of Jeremiah. Again, not on the screen. I just, it came to me now. I've memorized this verse because I need it. Jeremiah said in, in chapter 10, verse 23, Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. It is not for them to direct their steps. That is an offensive statement in our culture. I love reading books, but you know what I'm finding? There's a lot of Christian books that would find that statement. Lord, I know that people's lives are not their own. They would find that offensive. But the problem with that is if we fight the, the reality that life is about more than just ourselves. If we fight that, we won't have clear discernment of his will. We're robbing ourselves, actually. And as Romans 12, 2 says again, it's a good, pleasing, perfect will. I want to discover that. So, so offer our bodies, and then the next step he gives us is do not conform any longer to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. So how do we do that? Again, I want to emphasize God's word there. We get into the word. And not just, again, a surface reading, but here's two questions I like to ask as I'm reading the Word. Number one, what are God's values? What are the values of the kingdom of God? And number two, how do those contrast with the values of the world? I mean, there's some obvious ones, but some are subtle. For example, here's a world value that often we can bring into our prayer lives. More is always better. It's not always better. So if we go into prayer and we have given ourselves allegiance to that value, more is always better, we're going to have trouble discerning God's will. This is why media fast can be huge. When I used to lead school ministers, we did media fast. I've shared this before. I didn't even like the idea of media fast. Growth isn't found in itself in fasting. It's meeting with Jesus. 
But I sense the Holy Spirit saying, let's do media fast. And I, I can't tell you how many texts I still get from former students saying, you know what, I did a media fast back then. It, it really helped me. We're doing another one now if they're married. Or... And then sometimes I get, I love these texts. Uh, you know, Chris, I hated when you gave me that media fast. I didn't do it. But now I'm doing one. Oh, it's radically changing me. You know, I, I, I never respond saying, oh, why didn't you listen to me back then? I, I, it, to me, growth is a journey. When we do a media fast, this is what happens. We begin to see that even the neutral stuff can cloud our vision from seeing. So sometimes I just have scenes where I just have to immerse myself. Because on, on topics like money and relationships, those two things, I need to keep just washing my mind cleansing my mind, renewing my mind. You know, James, when he talked about God being generous, he also said in that same passage, you're going to be like a wave of the sea blown and tossed every which way if you're double-minded. We're not going to discern God's will if we're double-minded, if we have multiple masters. So why not allow for increasing purity of heart, a renewing of the mind, setting aside the values of the world so that we can hear the will of our king. So here's my encouragement this morning. God makes much of his will clear for renewed minds. Much of it. And he will fill in many blanks. Not all blanks. In fact, this is why I said last week we need corporate prayer too. Sometimes we need our brothers and sisters to help fill in some of the other blanks. But we in faith can go and say, he's going to fill in many. And there's some we just won't fill in because they're not for us to know. But I think we have to move ahead in faith and begin to let God's word speak that there can be certainty because he is so good. So church, we're ending the prayer and fasting month. Here is my prayer this morning. Lord, may we actually keep this spirit of prayer and fasting going. May we keep it going. This life, I like how one author said it, this life was never meant to be a playground, it was meant to be a battleground. As soon as sin entered the world, it became a battleground. Prayer helps us do the hard work. My son right now is in university. The stuff he's taking is so hard. Like, I'm a smart guy. Like, God gave me a brain. Lots of things I can't do. But I'm looking at the stuff he's studying, and I'm like, you really want to study that? Like, he's taking a calculus course right now. Like, I didn't even like calculus, period, in school. It's called vector calculus, or one of the units. I'm like, vector calculus? I mean, I know what vector means, but how that relates to calculus? I'm like, why would you want to do that? And he just, you know, I I actually, I, I laugh at him. You know, you're thinking... What a good parent, you're discouraging him from studying. But you know what? This is what I love, his attitude. It's a season. And he leans in and he grinds through it for something better at the end. Church, prayer can be work. At times we're going to have to grind through it, but let's grind through it. Because there's something better at the end. I I, I can only imagine what it's going to be like when we meet Jesus face to face. We will never regret praying more. We'll never regret that. So as we do this long, last song of worship here, I want to encourage you to reflect on any commitments you can make 
going into the rest of this year. Commitments of prayer. Don't be rash. Don't try to be a hero. If you pray two minutes a day now, I'm going to pray seven hours a day. But let the Holy Spirit work and speak to you about that. And, and fasting as well. I want to encourage you in that. Thanks again for joining us for our weekend message. If you have any needs or prayer requests, please give us a call at 204-326-9020 or email prayer at myselfland.com. Once again, our phone number is 204-326-9020 and the email address is prayer at myselfland.com.